background, I'm like 15 bucks. Swagging out. <laughs> That's amazing. Swagging out indeed. Okay. I spilled some of my coffee. Oh, no good. It's on my legs. Do you want to get paper towels or something? Oh, no. It was okay. just a drop. Oh, okay. I was cool. more sad for the coffee than the coffee on me. I got you. I'd rather you be inside me. Oh, that, yeah. That. Rephrase that. <laughs> Change that. Reverse that. You just strike it. Reverse I'd ra- it. I'd rather be. Wait. I'd rather be inside the coffee? Maybe. I, I would like to. Ow! <laughs> Dog bite. That is my hand. Ow. It was right on the meat in between the, the pointer finger and the thumb. Yeah, well, that's where he gets you because you're trying to take his tennis ball away. You No, you're not trying to take the dog's it's tennis a, ball no, away. It, you're trying to take it away so you can play with it. Right. It's a wrestling match, though. Right. You could, you, hey, if you can st- <laughs> stuff your thumb into somebody's butthole in a wrestling match, then the dog can just jack you in the web with his tooth. Wait, that's completely based off the fact that in a wrestling match you're allowed to put a finger up somebody's butthole. You are. But you're not. No, you're yeah, not. Yeah, you are. No. Yeah, you are. No way. Yeah, it's a it's a routine move. I don't believe it. It's called a uh, oil check. Oh, God, that's that's making me feel painful right now in, in my area. <laughs> that's too, how is that even possible? They're wearing singlets. Yeah. And then your knees are all bent up around each other and you're trying to like sub- choke somebody out. Yeah. So if your hand just happens to get down there and you're in a bad spot, you just oil check them so that they like freak out and then you get a more advantageous position. So by the definition, it kind of sounds like it's cheating. No, but it's not because it's actually a sanctioned move. I'd like to talk to. Let's get some wrestlers in here and talk to them because I want. Dude, they had like a three-hour show on the JRE about Uh, it. But but we should get wrestlers in. Shout out to the JRE. Yes, good times. That's a good show. That's the Joe Rogan experience. Oh, that this dog is gonna keep me entertained this entire podcast. (laughs) It's true. Oh, it's not my turn to talk. Throw the ball, (laughs) dance monkey. It'll probably be uh, delightful for our listeners to hear that little jingle all the time. Maybe maybe I'll toss some gates on because we're uh, we're actually getting into the sound here. I think. Well, no, because we, he, he's will. he's the podcast pet, so it, it's uh, perfectly okay. That's true. He's everybody's friend, favorite friend. Hold on, let me get him close to close to the microphone. Listen to that voice. Come on. Don't be silent on me now. No performance anxiety. This is Buck. He's concentrating. He is the podcast pet. Right. Oh, he's, God. He's got a remarkably strong pull. Well, he's also got teeth the size of, like, long 45 bullets. That's true. He's got huge teeth. For They're really fucking being long. Being such a medium-sized dog. Exactly. For tearing in the cow's hides, right? <laughs> right. I looked at a couple of pictures of Kelpies. He has their exact nose and face. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He does. Yeah, he's got that long dish nose. Spy versus spy face. Yeah, exactly. Um, If you were the type that would dress up your dog, that would be the perfect costume. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this dog gets food and water, man. That's true. That's pretty luxurious. That's true. <laughs> Oh, no. The luxurious part is he gets the company. 
Well, that's true. Well, any, and that's why you should always adopt people. Any, well, I mean, I paid twenty five bucks for him. He was out of the back of a trailer. It's basically <laughs> fucking adoption. That, yeah, that's true. Um, and he gets to travel cross country a lot, which is uh, that's not average for a dog. No, gets to go between the beautiful Rocky Mountains and the gold, the golden ocean shores of California. Yeah. Um. So we were meaning to get to something that you had thought up, but we haven't yet in the show. Um, kids. Oh, and a sense yeah. of urgency. Yeah, talking about how nobody has a sense of urgency nowadays. Yeah. Which feels almost a, a good topic to get onto with uh, the way my my work has been. <laughs> just dealing with people that... Nobody just, like, stands there and takes their lumps anymore. Everybody has to say something about it. It's true. Nobody, nobody, um, they don't fess up to their shortcomings. Right. It's, I don't, I really don't understand where that comes from because. But, and that's more on the accountability side, so let's go there first. Okay. No, go ahead. Uh, well, um. In terms of accountability? Yeah, sure. I, okay, I think that... Hit me. I think that... Hit me. Uh, speaking um, uh, for, for people who have conscience, consciences... Conscious? Consciences? Whatever, however They have conscience. They have a conscience. Conscience. Yes. People who ha- feel karma. Um, yeah. The, it, it's very hard not to do your best work because if you haven't put a hundred percent of yourself into something, then you can't complain about the outcome because there is something you could have done to fix that and to, and to augment your future. So if something happens and it just happens to be your fault or it, you know, something doesn't happen because of you, uh, that you should, I mean, no big deal. You should just own up to it. You should say, yeah, I'm sorry, and I'll do more, you know? No. And and so many people these days haven't been taught to swallow their pride and freaking apologize and let it go and get back to work, you know? They get, anytime an accusation is thrown their way, they have no ability to view it uh, objectively and say, yeah, I probably was being an asshole or eh, you have to understand where I'm coming from, you know, but both, both are better than getting pissed off and yelling at each other and not coming to any conclusion at all. Cause you're just hurling, um, you're just hurling shit back and forth. It's, it's just a big right. shit war. Right. I, I mean, one of my biggest pet peeves, it's, I'm guilty of it myself, which yeah. makes it even more ironic is, when events happen like that, like something just hits you in a bad way and mm-hmm. like you do, obviously you've done something wrong. Yeah. And then you get confronted about it and you just shut down. There, yeah. There's no growing from that moment, which yeah. makes it even harder for the person that's trying to come down on you. Yeah. Because if you just shut down, that's when learning happens. Like that's that. If you do something wrong and somebody confronts you about it. They're not really happy about it. You fess right up to it, and you're like, yes, I did it, and completely fess up. Yeah. 
and then you don't say anything after that, uh-huh. you'll obviously be screaming inside your head. That's a good thing. Yeah, sure. That, that little screaming inside your head, that's what you're supposed to feel. That's where right. that conditioning <laughs> yeah. comes from. Yeah, yeah. It's a shitty feeling to mess up. So when you do, that's your motive. that feeling is your motivation not to mess up again. Yeah. And that's the ability to be able to weed out the crazy thoughts from the uh, actual good ideas that you have after yeah. that kind of a situation. That's an important thing, too. Absolutely. If you don't have that, you end up killing somebody. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I keep my car. Yeah. Well, it's time to go get the shotgun. <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. Um, get the boys. <laughs> get the Round boys. them up. <laughs> get them up. up. Get them up. Round them up. So that's round them up. Rawhide. That's really cool. Brought to you by coffee. Yes. Speaking of which, I'm gonna pause real quick and get some more coffee. I'll, I'll keep her going. All right. I'll, sounds I'll, good. I'll enter- entertain the peoples. I'll be back for coffee. Oh yeah. From coffee. So whatever coffee. So right now I'm gonna be talking to you people. Joe, Joe's gonna leave me alone. So just you. Me and Mr. Buck here. And we'll take that entire idea that we were going off of, of not being able to shut down after something bad happens. We'll take that over to horses. When you're going about a a school, whether it's a jump school or you're uh, doing rain patterns, barrels, whatever, you're going to be making, you're going to make mistakes. It's going to happen. It's going to, it's all part of the learning process. I'm sure all of you have heard that countless times before. But the important thing the thing to learn from that, as the tactician on top of the horse's back, is that the horse will f- have that feeling as well. They're going to realize that you've told them that what they did was wrong uh, based on how you told them. And they will shut down on you sometimes. And you have to be there for them and coach them through that because you're the smart person just because they're bigger than you doesn't mean that they're better than you it's very true it's all about it's all about accountability with the horses too Mm -hmm. you know you can babysit them into any maneuver but that doesn't mean that they're getting any learning done they're just learning to listen to your cues true if you want them to learn how to perform a maneuver you have to put the responsibility on them and then correct them after they make a mistake. Yeah, absolutely. And that, you know, you can't ever make a horse do something, but you can sure make them wish they had. Right. I mean, there's some people out there that are really hard into the fact that uh, riding, well, doing anything with horses is just modifying their normal behavior. Yeah. And so when somebody says, well, the horse did something wrong, well, technically, no, they didn't do anything wrong. They're just living. They can't really do wrong unless they physically injure you. That's, uh, yeah, taking it I, I all the way that. to an extreme. Yeah, reductio ad absurdum on your ass. Right, 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 right. Little Socrates. Sure. Yeah, it, that's true. So really, wh- whatever you bring to the table is the schedule that they will eventually have to learn, or yeah. the, is the the set of rules they will eventually have to learn. Um, and it doesn't happen immediately, so you don't get into them all insulted on the first day you know right. you have to teach them the what happens but then there comes a time with you know a, an older horse 
after they get with the program, after you, they know all the rules, they know what they should and shouldn't be doing. You've been doing it for a year, two years, five years, you know, however long. And then there comes the point where the horse uh, makes a decision to be belligerent in the fact that they don't want to listen to what they know are the rules. Very true. And that's the time where you're allowed to make a sharper correction, a, 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 a stauncher reminder. Yeah, so just really laying the foot down. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not saying, you know, get a bicycle chain and whip the hell out of them right. or anything, but I'm I'm saying, you know, instead of just a little, a little harsh, you, you you went straight for straight for the bicycle chain. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I just just a little like wiggle on the halter, little lead line or whatever and say step back, step back, you know, you shouldn't be walking in front of me or something. Yeah. And then you know, when they're a lot older, if they're trying to ball through you, you know, they're just trying to get to hay or something, that's when you can come in with, like, a hand and just slap them on the chest and say, hey, get back, you know, or something like that. Right. If they're getting up ahead of you, you know. And, th- and that, to me, is the harsher side of things Mo- most of the time. Yeah. You know, then the, there's those situations situations where it's dangerous to to health, human health, and th- and those are different, but those are very rare. Oh yeah, and pretty I'm, much anybody listening to it does not have that horse. No, 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 no. I mean, <laughs> I have seen. It's not even the fact that it's those horses; it's the fact that it's just as bad with a all right horse mm-hmm. and a substantially bad rider. And that yeah. combination makes it almost to that same level. That's true. That's very true. Like the it's just such a poor mismatch. Yeah. Or the person isn't ready for their own horse yet. Yeah, I mean that's some a mistake that a lot of people make is that they get a young horse for a young rider and think that they're going to grow together. It's not true. No, that's economically easier. It it is easier, but it's the exact opposite of how anybody should be learning you should get the old horse that knows what it's doing and teaches you everything and then you take what you learn from the old horse and apply it to steadily younger horses over the period of your education now did you have any horses before you had you got a nickel I never owned any horses before that. I did a lot of sponsorships even lease whatever yeah yeah I leased a couple of horses what was several different all right so there was a history before nickel yeah Mm-hmm. So, what was uh, the first horse that you rode, like you that you were actually learning on consistently? How mm-hmm. old were they? That I was learning on consistently. That horse was probably, uh, it was it, well, it was sort of a rotation of three horses in order to keep, you know, me guessing and okay, let's as say a student, the but one they that were learned the most on, but they were all. In the age range of like ten to twelve to fourteen. Ten to twelve, four. So yeah, one was, some, somewhere one was in ten, there. one was twelve, one was fourteen. Uh, no, I just can't remember <laughs> exactly. They all, you know, they had it was starting to get a little gray on their faces. Oh yeah, sure. Just not really though. Yeah, my first source was. Uh, I've told you this, but excuse me. Uh, he was fourteen. Mm-hmm. Thoroughbred quarter horse cross, maybe didn't have any papers. Had no idea what he was. Had a really thin face, but had a quarter horse body. Mm-hmm. It was weird. Uh, and had 
you know how uh, they judge arthritis, like, like joint pain in yeah. horses, how it's a one to four scale where mm-hmm. I think it's one is the worst and four is the least amount of pain. Right. I think, yeah. Uh, I think, I think somebody's going to jump down my throat, but I'm pretty sure yeah. it's like number three is when it is visible at a trot. Or three or two is I, lameness. I, I don't know. I forget what they correspond to. I just know like the, yeah. the general idea of each number. Yeah, exactly. But uh, the horse was a three in one leg and two straight across the board on the other on the others. Mm-hmm. Like just he was all right in the summer, and in the winter he'd turn into an ornery piece of shit. Mm-hmm. But during that winter time. That is when I figured out what a seat is and learning my mm. seat that mm. was good for my body and even more specifically for this pair of myself and this horse. Yeah, absolutely. Because you don't sit on a horse the same way for different horses. That's true. Well, yeah. Something I think... M- everyone notices when they begin to ride a large variety of horses is that most every horse is going to influence influence you to ride a little bit differently absolutely but it is then your job as a rider to bring the constancy the consistency to uh the to the riding itself sure you i know. mean that's that's in, in a bit of a finished aspect cuz you're not always going to be that perfect rider, so it, it it's a level of consistency. Oh yeah, that does change. Well, right, right, right. It's on a spectrum, which is it's weird a, to say. It's on a spectrum. Consistency that changes. Yes, yeah. Riding well, horses. You're consistent in your series of cues. You're consistent in the location, and try to be consistent with your balance. Sure. But because every horse is conformationally different, and every rider is conformationally different, everyone's going to have a slightly different mode of riding that's perfect for them yeah you know and so it's up to that feel portion that that really you know you want to go to the image of perfection but it also has to be your image of perfection oh absolutely i uh i I had no idea about this until just recently i saw i was watching uh, some golf swing videos Mm -hmm. and it was the 10 most notable swings of all time like just unique swings. Mm. There was this one uh, uh, Swedish woman. Forget her name. I'm sorry. I doubt you'll ever listen to this. <laughs> I love you. Um, but she actually had an extra vertebrae in her neck. Hmm. And so when she'd swing, her neck would almost like whip down and carry the momentum through her swing. So she'd like dip over top of the club. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And really turn her shoulders, which was weird because it's not a normal swing. But she could kill the ball. Jeez. And so it, that's an extreme example, but confirmation can be different on both the horse's side and your side. It's true. It's true. That <laughs> and, Breathe. you know, uh, yeah, I've noticed... Um, a lot of uh, dressage riders, you know, ride incredibly differently from most reigning riders, but they're asking for the same maneuvers or virtually the same maneuvers. They're not, yes. 
there's more exactitude in dressage, obviously. Exactitude. Exactitude, which is actually probably a word. Pulling a page out of the Barney Stinson handbook, put two words together that sound powerful, <laughs> and it is a super word. Exactitude. Hey, hey don't blow my spot, bro. Propensive fortitude. <laughs> Propensive fortitude. Exactly. Uh, in dressage versus, you know, it's a little bit more of in that general direction for reigning. But I think in both categories, you have to slightly adjust for the horse, uh, your riding for the horse's uh, disposition, their personality, and their body. You this know? is a topic I've wanted to get onto for a while. Yeah. Because you talk about reining and you talk about dressage a lot. And yes. And you bring that composition of the two and say that they're very very similar mm -hmm. how much do you think the cowboy attitude in all the like all most western events such as mm -hmm. reigning mm. changes the actual mode of riding to a p point where it's just adding flair and not really doing anything more mm. because <clears throat> dressage it's very exact like they do the whole music thing and it's sure yeah very like you start if you st start before the corner a little bit when you go into your uh, passage, mm. you're marked down a little bit. Yeah. In raining, I mean, what what what's that famous one that you always show me? The oh uh, oh the the uh, last vote uh, finals world finals run on Check Snake. Yeah. Yeah. He rolls back and almost lays the horse on its side. Mm -hmm. Still wins because he's doing. So well, because it's almost that that crowd factor, right? Well, you do get extra points for flashy maneuvers for flair in your moves. Okay, I I didn't actually know that. Yeah, yeah. So the more brilliant your maneuver is, yeah. uh, the more likely you are to get a plus on that a plus score on that maneuver, a plus one or a plus two. So go th go through the scoring with me. So give me a little refresher course. How does that work? Here I. I got to pull it up because I know that you are basically, you're given a set amount. Um, actually, what the hell am I doing? I have the reigning handbook in my phone. There you go. Because um, my background, any score that I've ever gotten was just an exact number. Mm-hmm. That, like, oh, I mean, I did jumpers, so it was time-based. So you get a score of... Either passing uh, or not. Right. Well, um, let's see. And the fact that it goes from like a check minus to a check to a check plus or a check to a check plus, <laughs> and then that relays to a number somehow. Uh huh. I, I, I don't get it. I um, mean, I like the concept of how, how it goes to that human side of it where it's like, eh, do, do I think that was a check or a check plus? I don't know. So, uh,. Let's give him a check plus this time. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's kind of interesting. It's so uh, uh, come on, Joe, you're burning, Fifi. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, okay, the scoring of reigning horses on is on a positive numeric scale, with seventy denoting an average performance. 
NRHA patterns are composed of several distinct maneuver groups which judges are asked to evaluate on an individual basis dependent on execution as dictated by the pattern description and the rules for judging and against the quality standard described in Section A. The individual maneuvers are scored in half-point increments from a low of minus 1.5, extremely poor quality, to a high of plus 1.5, excellent quality with a score of zero denoting a maneuver that is correct with no degree of difficulty. Okay. So the total score, uh, the total of the scores applied to the maneuver groups is combined with the starting score of 70, and from this gross maneuver score, any penalties are deducted to calculate the horse's final score, which is announced after each horse works. Okay, so Mm -hmm. is this those... uh... Those variations in how many points you can gain or lose. Right. Does that come by move? That's by maneuver. By maneuver. So you, if you get a score of zero, it means you did it correctly, but it wasn't difficult and it uh, wasn't brilliant. So you'd have to spin faster or you'd have to stop harder. So you're limited by the amount of uh, maneuvers in that pattern. Right. And then it's... A plus one and a half or a minus one and a half yeah. uh, for each judge, and you have three judges. Okay. So you add the all three scores together, So you, and you start out with 70. God, that's real complicated. Yeah. That's so, weird. It so like, takes sh- into effect like the, the crowd part of it. Yeah. You have three judges, so it's checks and balances. Right. And then you have your own personal... Uh, uh, tactician of the moves, like right? Actually doing them, right? That's the word I was looking for. Actually doing them. How do you forget? That? <laughs> you have uh, the actual the the um whatever because execution of the maneuvers. Yeah, there you go. Uh, because I'm sure going through mm-hmm. those patterns, if if you like going through one of those maneuvers, you know that you didn't do it to the best of your ability and you might not get full score on it. Mm-hmm. What the kind of like mentality you have to get into going into the next maneuver is. Right. But you can't carry that baggage with you. Exactly. Yeah. The other thing is if you try and show more than what your horse has, if you try and push it too far, sure. then all your moves fall apart and you get minus scores. So so yeah. you have to really play with that edge of, you know, showing the horse that you brought down. Um, but on the same token, I think that, uh, that is very similar to dressage because you have a series of maneuvers and you're scored on each maneuver. And then it's the score is calculated at the end, uh, based on the accumulation of three judge scores. Sure. So it's set up very similar and, and you're doing, um, different, but similar maneuvers. Right. I don't, I don't and, know, it just... and I think when you get to the top in the finals with Rainers, you, you don't really find too many people that are going by rule of thumb. Most of them do know where the horse's center of gravity is and, and know the principles of classic dressage. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Dressage just makes me laugh sometimes because you always see it competed, but you never really see a whole lot of the training side of it. Yeah. And so it almost kind of like... Uh, 
racehorses. Yes. You see them do it, and then they go back to the barn, and you never see them until the next race. Right. And, that, and I always and picture, like, those barns. They're just, like, white walls, medical, everybody's in, like, scrubs and latex. Yeah, yeah, and everybody's, like, uh, uh, just neurotic as hell, and, and their noses are red, you know, just from lack of blood flow because they're worried about everything so much with, like, giant purple bags under their eyes. And if you knock on their door before 10 a.m., they just come out screaming because you interrupted their uh, morning equilates, and, and now it's just ruined. They can't get back to it. I feel like you're quoting some... Uh... Some actual experience you've had. No, 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 no. I'm just no, just shooting from the hip on that one. Right. <laughs> just postulating. Yeah, they they do stress a lot more, but that's modern dressage. That's true. Yeah, I and that's uh, been criticized very much by the guys who wrote the classical dressage books. Right. So and and so I think because dr- classic dressage is not dressage. It's not the competition of dressage. No, it, it's it's simply the dr- word dressage translated means training. So yeah. it's simply the way that you systematically train a horse to the complete um, to execute every single maneuver that you that you would see them do in the wild. Right, like the lumberjack at, games uh, at your command. Yeah, <laughs> it really is like the lumberjack. Dressage games. is like the steel games. Heck yeah, that would be that and. So and that's why I think that everyone can benefit from those principles because they're maneuvers that you're going to perform in in your respective competitions anyway, or a lot of them are. You can take a lot of the aspects. You don't have to use all of dressage. You know, you can use the aspects of training that you're trying to um, you're trying to get. You know, uh. Because obviously a sliding stop is not something you would teach a dressage horse no. or a jumping horse, no. you know. But at the same time, you want all three horses to know how to be able to flex and load their back end. Right. You know, and, and so it's that core building block that, that is the same throughout. It's one of my favorite things about the whole training aspect of the, uh, the equine industry. Mm-hmm. Because... Unless you're doing like equine kinesiology or physiology and really getting in there, mm, mm. the fact that you are telling a horse to do something and then relying on their natural ability mm-hmm. to figure out how that works best for them mm-hmm. because you can't physically show them. Like yes. It's not like yes. you can you put can... a machine on their back right. legs and do a rollback and tell them, this foot goes here, this foot goes right. here, this foot goes here. Right, but you can um, prepare them so that it is easier for them to figure it out. Yes, as you as you get better at it. Right. You're not going to have You're that You're not going to s- start out there, I guess. <laughs> no. But, no. you know, it's... For those kids that when they started riding, it was almost out of necessity because... Like they grew up on grew up on the ranch, and they yep. they had to know how to be on a horse. Yep. And once they got the basics down, it was, oh, we got a new horse, and go ride it for a while. <laughs> Those kids are doing what they what they know feels right. What they and that's really it. Yeah. No, I am jealous of that too. Yes. Because being able to intuitively know in every situation what feels right, you know, is a great feeling. Absolutely. But it's good to take into account other 
points of view too, because if you, uh, in my experience, if I only use one method to solve a problem every single time, yeah, it no longer becomes effective. Yeah, you have to change the. Well, that's how your brain works. You have to ch- well for the horse, yeah, too. It, you have to change the argument. You yeah. have to you have to approach it from an indirect position. True. I mean, it's a good point because horses, like if you if you're talking to somebody and trying to prove a point, mm-hmm. they have the ability to verbally answer back, and there can be like a a, a, a volley, com- yeah, a confluence of those ideas to get it from every single angle to realize what the whole big picture is. Right, right. And horses can only physically do that back, which isn't right. the clearest thing because it's not verbal. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, it's not uh, uh, elucidated us for illuminated for us. Mm-hmm. Huh. Need my alpha brain. Need, yeah. <laughs> um, it's a it's kind of upsetting because I, I got the extra large coffee. Yeah. It was a dollar forty nine. Uh huh. Guess how much the large coffee was? How much? A dollar forty nine. What? The extra large is the same price as the large. <laughs> okay. So I got the extra large, and once it cooled down, felt like a medium. Hmm. Not really happy that I'm at the at the dregs of my coffee. Well, there's a lot more upstairs, so. This is true, but now then then I'll start vibrating and going into different dimensions. Well, you know, we'll pace it. <laughs> Of the hundreds of thousands of millions of different dimensions that there are out there, I'm pretty sure I'm drinking coffee in most of them. Um, actually, there are infinite different universes. Yeah, I got I got there eventually. I was like hundreds. Oh wait, yeah, there's infinite. And, so I just kept going hundred thousand million billion. Google Googleplex. Googleplex. Googleplex plus one. It's more than that. Shush. As a matter of fact, nobody really understands. I don't even understand the scope of infinity. But what I do understand is that if you were to follow the multiverse theory, every single possible permutation of every single action throughout history has existed and has uh, in in its own its own universe. Yeah, and in fact. All of those different mutations of the same event have happened so many times, infinite times, that they have repeated themselves. And this exact universe has happened again the exact same way with the exact same occurrence of events, every pebble falling in the exact same position. And that has happened an infinite number of times. And I believe it, but by that same theory, in at least... the math will show that in one dimension, I am a clown made of candy. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's the amazing part. A sad clown That's made the, of candy. I know. You're every kind of clown made of candy. <laughs> I am. In some That's dimension. True. It's Mom, amazing. I'm famous. Are you proud? <laughs> so I made a candy. So I'm pretty sure Ooh, it's guaranteed that you, you're, you have done everything. In one dimension or another. That scares me, because even in this lifetime, you make, like, three, just three, three different decisions. Yeah. Like, just flip them. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Oh, God, that'd be scary. Yeah, that would be a terrible thing. That would be bad. Yeah, yeah, imagine that. (laughs) Imagine, imagine um, you not making any 
bad decisions in one life. You're like, you're a devout Catholic. Yeah. And you join the priesthood. No. Yeah. There is a dimension where you do that. No. Where something happens no in way. your life that traumatizes you so much <laughs> as to join the clergy. Nope. 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 Yep. Pull out a nope. Yep. Nope. Yep. And nope. there's one where you're a Buddhist monk. I think I can And there's one where Buddhism doesn't exist. <laughs> that that's a weird thought. The fact that something couldn't exist. Yeah. Like what if your town ooh, your town didn't exist. <laughs> in a different dimension. You bet you lived in a different town. That would be weird. The US was shaped like a turkey. That would be awesome. <laughs> I would live in that dimension. <laughs> I want to go to Turkey Land. <laughs> ben Franklin decided he he just got sick with power. We fucking said, we jacked we're the Balkans' have... name and just named ourselves Turkey. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we he wanted to make the the nation's bird the turkey, and he just got power hungry and took all the dynamite that was going to be going towards making all the railroads. Oh, no. And blew up the U.S. into the shape of a turkey. <laughs> well, and yes, that joke does not chronologically make sense. Then, uh, that would be awesome. Then, uh, fuck, where was I going with that? Where were you going with that? Oh, no. You made a left turn, then a right turn, and I know. you went under the bridge. I know, and then I'm trying to come back around. I made a U-turn on the roundabout. Oh, yeah. Um, you made a U-turn on the roundabout? Well, no, no. I'm, trying to, I'm trying to go back and figure out what I dropped. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like the guns that fell out because the tailgate didn't Oh, oh, that would, that would make... This is a terrible joke now. It's ruined. But that would make the U.S. the, the first Dubai. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. No, that's a good joke. I mean, they fucking made islands that are in the shape of a palm The tree. world. Yeah, they They made the world in yeah. miniature. How power hungry do you have to be to be like... I want to own a smaller... What country do I want to buy? All of them. <laughs> oh my God. That's the premise of a joke. What do I want Dubai? Ah, what do I want to buy? Wow. Puns. Okay. Well, that was that was rousing. Yeah, comedy brought to you by not having enough coffee and four points. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, we got like thirty-eight minutes going on here. We're on thirty-eight. Yeah. We're. It's not bad actually. We kind of fell off. Fell off some of the horses. Horses well, though. Yeah. So I wanted to get back around to now that we've talked about. Um, we did rain cut to dressage. Well, yeah. I mean, now, now that we've talked about uh, accountability, let's get into that sense of urgency that goes hand in hand with it. True. Yeah. The fact. Yeah. What do you want to go straight to horses, or you want to talk to phys? The what, well, what, what was psychology? Your, what was the argument that you were sort of building when you were thinking about this? Oh uh, well, no. I, it was just one of those things where it was that aha moment because mm -hmm. a bunch of random acts happen during the day and you're just like like it when you it's the old people darn these kids these days yeah kind of thing yeah and it, and it wasn't in in the best of moods so it was kind of being critical of the world uh but i mean if you want to jump straight into horses i can do that i would say sure the sense of urgency especially when you're learning mm. that Yes, it is a slow process, but you do have to keep progressing. Yeah. And 
it goes all across riding. Like it, it's just kind of a good concept to know. It's not something that you can really pin down. Mm-hmm. It's the understanding that you can't walk all the time. Yeah, and I'm not. I'm not saying that like physically. You're not just walking around the arena right. the whole time. Right. Just walking before you can run inside your head. Yeah, you kind of have to put yourself in those positions where sometimes you have to. St- Kick it to a job. Yeah, bump ahead. Yeah, it's like in class when they tell you, "Oh, you should you should read ahead and get get familiar with the chapters." Well, that's not a bad idea for writing as well. It's yeah, learning. Yeah, it's true. Try doing a move that you you're working on, and see if you can build like warm up your horse in a way and build that frame. Yeah, in a way that you can actually accomplish that move and learning where your faults are with your warm up. Right. Well, and even just being the scientist and and when you're riding along, just, well, I wonder what would happen, what the horse would do if I put my leg here. Yeah. Or I wonder what would happen if I put my hand here instead of here. You know, and just trying it out and seeing what's more effective and, and what, what works for this horse and what works for you. Yeah. You know, um, that goes along with the sense of urgency because you're not waiting to be told what to do. True. You're experimenting and you, you know, it's just like a kid who you give, you give them a computer. They're not going to read the instruction manual. It's going to be there as a backup. They're just going to start screwing around with it and seeing what works and what doesn't. Exactly. It's just like putting your foot in the door. Like when somebody holds a door for you, it's that little jog that you do to, to, get to the door so they don't have to hold yes. it that long. Yeah, it's out of courtesy for it, others. It's just those small little things that that sense of urgency helps. Oh, I know. My my dad um, and I have been rattling this sword for years because, um, you know, I love my mom and my brother, but they're going to be late to their own funeral. <laughs> it's it's yeah. amazing to me. We set a leaving time for like 10 a.m., and then we finally, like, get out of the driveway at, like, 2 or 3 in the afternoon. Yeah. They just, like, and they're just dragging their heels because they want to. Oh, it feels like that, anyway, yeah. for, to a person who does have a sense of urgency, to f- a person who hates being somewhere at, you, uh, late. <laughs> do you feel like people nowadays, they're, uh, they're too trained to, like take into account the fact that some people were late and building around that and not actually fixing the problem. See, I, I just disagree with that method entirely. I think that, uh, if somebody isn't somewhere on time, then they're just going to have to f- find a new time to do it. You know, so you're not the kind of people... guy that if something is happening at six, and you know that you have to get somebody up that you're you want to get somebody else there on time that you'll tell them five thirty instead. Oh, I'll do that, sure. Okay, so you will. Oh yeah, I do that to my mom all the time. Well that's the same thing. Yes, but I think if you have a chance of saving like if you're a parent and have the chance of saving a person from becoming uh uh from Saving a person from becoming a burden to other people by making them do math in their head to actually give them a false time to lie to them so that they're uh, somewhere late for the false time, but early 
for you know for the actual event right that's the, you're you're creating a burden for other people in life you know you don't want to do that you want to have a person who is self sufficient but that life. burden so if, so if you still that sense of urgency if you can no if you instill the sense of urgency as a child then there's no need to to create a bullshit broken human like Some that Some people don't get that Joe I know, and they should be shot in the head. <laughs> it's the old old dog, <sighs> new tricks concept. Yeah. Well, the way I see it is, if a ride's leaving at 6 a.m., yeah. and you get there at 6 a.m., yeah. you don't get on the horse. You're late. That's true. That's true. Yeah, that was a big thing when, when I was learning to ride, and I started doing the upper-level lessons, and uh, like the guy that owned the barn, he was... He comes for your lesson and then goes up into his office. Yep. That's how it is. And he was always late, but you had to be there on time. Right. Well, and he was late to show you that his time was a little bit more valuable than yours. Exactly, yeah. And so you'd get there, and if you had like a 10 o'clock lesson, you'd be tacking up your horse at 9. Yeah. Yeah, you'd be on by... 9.30, maybe 9.25. Yeah, and warming up. Yeah, and you're warming up, being ready for the lesson. Right. Because the lesson is the upper style stuff. Yeah, it's not the teacher's job to warm you up well, the teacher, anymore. The teacher's job in the earlier phases is. Well, because the warm up is the lesson. Yes. But if you can't warm up the horse, then you don't have any control. Yeah, like training in the in a hunter-jumper world, seeing less the how lessons change mm-hmm. is really cool. Uh, I've never gotten to see it on the, on the Western side because it seems a little more applicable to what you do. It's, yeah, it's, well, it's just sort of a working style of, it's a working lit discipline. Right. So. Like, like, that's why jumpers, I think, are, are a little crazy. Yeah. Because when you're, uh, you're, all your work on the flat, yeah, you can kind of bring that across and make it realize how... It applies to when you're in the ring, when mm-hmm. you're doing your jump off and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But it's still on the flat versus over fences. Right. Whereas... The only way to get better at jumping is to jump things. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And with the Western side, I like how it is a little more ap- applicable. Mm-hmm. But back to the lessons part of it. Seeing how... Like, we would start with group lessons. I have, like, six, seven, eight kids in a lesson. Mm -hmm. And it would almost be like a a flat class the entire time. You're tracking around the outside and basically following directions. And if necessary, you would all come in Mm. um, Mm. so that you could all hear what was going on. Because it was a pretty big arena. Yeah. But you... They would be our lessons. And for about 45 minutes would be the warm-up. Like, mm-hmm. that's what it would be, because these, these were school horses, so I'm sure that they did it that way on purpose, because 45 minutes, that's a good warm-up for a school horse that's yeah out every single day, so you kind of need to get them refreshed and not tired of what they're doing. Right. And then the last 15 minutes would be um, either direct show application where you're doing, uh, like, a mock flat class, uh-huh. like, you're being judged by your trainer. Right. Or you're hopping over fences and you would take turns going over it. And that's when it gets really into you. It's very individualized. Yeah. Whereas later, like we were talking about, you're warmed up for your lesson. And then you go straight into that application when they come into the ring. Yeah. 
barring the fact that if you're a good trainer, when you come in, you evaluate the warm the warm up that they've done. Right. Yeah. You you check and see, make sure the horse is supple in all areas. Right. Yeah. You know. Which is probably the biggest thing for safety when it comes into those upper levels. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's true. Because you you have to do that checks and check and balance because. I mean, it's two heads are better than one. Yeah. Well, and not to quote cliches. And not only is it safety for like the horse's uh, joints and its body, you know, it's it's getting the horse ready to do hard work, you know, but it's also uh, safety for you because if the horse, you know, trips or gets injured or bows a tendon real quick, you're coming off and you're going to get hurt. Yeah, I remember uh, one time I was up in upstate New York at a show in Socrates. It was part of the uh, the Hits Federation, mm-hmm. uh, Horses in the Sun sh- Horses in the Sun show program. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was when I was younger. It was probably my first or second show that I'd done. And, uh, they had all been done there because it was a three week show. Mm-hmm. Oh, we were there for three weeks, and so I was. In a, in a class of probably about 50, 60 competitors. Mm-hmm. And the way that they decided to do it is usually it was a like a beginner rider kind of thing, uh, like the next step up from shorts or up, whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, it normally runs uh, walk trot class, walk trot canter, over fences, over fences. Mm-hmm. Basically, your figure eight one way, your figure eight the other way. Yeah. And since they had so many competitors and it was down, they always throw the hunter rings at uh, in the English show in the back left corner where it's just an hour to walk all the way down there. <laughs> and then if you start trotting on the cement, your trainer yells at you and it's just a yeah. big thing. Yeah. So they decided to do the over fences first and then um, they'd bring back the fl- flat class people in groups. Mm-hmm. So for this 60-person class for kids, mm-hmm. it probably took like three and a half hours to get mm-hmm. everything done. Mm-hmm. And so, and there was probably like an hour in between my two over fences as well. Oh, really? Yeah. They, they were running really slow. That's annoying. It's, it, it wasn't a 20-trip an hour kind of ring. No. Um But they, uh... oh yeah, so my horse had gotten warmed up, cooled down, warmed up, cooled down, mm-hmm. and for the third time. This is that 14-year-old horse. Uh-huh. <laughs> third time that day, uh, it was counter, it, I thought it was counterintuitive at the time, because I, I felt bad. Uh-huh. Like, it was, by the end of the day, I, I felt bad for my horse, for the fact that this class was just so long. And, uh... That was the first time I had actually met the owner of the barn because he came out and uh, warmed me up for the the flat class, the walk trot canter class Mm -hmm. that was finally at the end. He warmed me up probably for like 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. And now I'm getting to the point of the story. So we go into the flat class and it had rained in the middle of that whole three and a half hours, like just deluge, just Mm. probably six inches of water. Mm. So it, they have this weird sand composite cloth that they put in their rings. Um, so it kind of wicks up some of the moisture and it just kind of turns into like Play-Doh. 
So we're doing the walk trot canter class, and we were talking about how you have to check check the warm up. I had been warming up myself before that flat class, and I only warmed up for like twenty minutes, and he pushed me to that forty five minutes. Mm-hmm. I'm coming down from the canter at the end of the flat class. I hit a slick spot, and the horse just went complete. His legs just went completely out from under him, straight down to his belly. I'm just sitting straight on top of him, gathers himself up, and keeps going. Jeez, that's awesome. If that horse, for the third time getting ridden that day, hadn't gotten warmed up, that could have been really, really bad. Yeah, that could have been really bad. He probably wouldn't have been limber enough to stay completely vertical. He probably would have fallen over. Right. And then that would have been... Hurt something. Well, yeah, but then a horse on its side when it's not supposed to be is always a bad thing. Right. Because then you got thrashing death clubs. Right. Well, so uh, thrashing torque arms for yeah. their intestines. Right, yeah. Um, God, horses are made up so stupid. Yeah, they really are <laughs> fragile. Um, like in a tank on little pins. I know, right? <laughs> Jeez. So, liberty training. Okay. Where do you where do you fall? Liberty training. That's a tough question because if I I fall back and forth mm-hmm. and between that like natural horsemanship side of it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What about you? I mean, I think it is interesting, and when it is taken to its fullest extent, it is. Um, more useful as just being a discipline in itself than it is as a tool for other things. Yeah. So, um, but the reason I asked that question is I think this guy is where the Liberty training, this guy, this guy right here is where the Liberty training gets interesting. Well, this is a writer for the cadre noir in Samur. Who who is it? I don't know. It's just some, it's, it's just some dude. But he starts out. It's in French. Yes, it is in French. That's why I have the sound off. And I'll, and I'll bring out the. So, it's, so it starts out with. I'll post the link to the video in the description. Um, it starts out with a guy riding two horses, and he's standing on each horse's back with one foot. Right. And I mean, it's just pretty standard. I wasn't incredibly impressed, though he is going to go over a couple of jumps with these two horses. What? He goes over fences while standing on their backs. Yes. But I thought, you know, I've seen pictures of Pete and Barry doing that too. So it's no big deal. I want to try that. Right? <laughs> that looks awesome. No. Now we begin to, uh, he's doing some jump now arounds. Now he stands backwards, jumping back and forth. Yeah, switching legs between the horses. Now is where it begins to get interesting. Okay. More horses come. Flood the arena with four more horses. Four more horses. So there's six horses in the ring. He's standing on two of them, and they all decide they just all, to line up. They next all to each line other. up perfectly next okay, to each so other. It's okay, so yeah. Oh, of course, they're very well trained. Let me guess. He transfers in between all the way along the line of the horses' backs. Well, let, we'll progress. He's okay. going to go over a jump with all of these horses at once. Okay, that giant wedge box yep. makes sense now. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. 
That's incredible. It looks pretty cool, right? So, and he's going to sort of show his how much control he has. And so this is cool because he's, be, he's able to ride six horses with one ass. It's the only person I've ever seen it able to do that. How has somebody not weaponized this yet? I know, right? How amazing would that Standing be? Standing on the back of With two machine guns horses. mounted on six horses. All right. So now. Brings one more horse. Watch this, though. Super control. He touches him. All right. Go to your spot. And this wow. horse goes around the back, finds a spot, comes in. Right there. They make way for him. Wow. Now, another horse comes out. This one. You can tell the difference in personality. Yeah. Stop <laughs> and back. Does that little rubber neck thing. Right? <laughs> but he's still perfectly, you know. Oh, absolutely. And so now. He's got eight horses stacked. Wait. No, 10 horses. 12 horses. 12 horses now. Stacked six forward, six backwards. Right. He's standing on the middle two. And, and another then two, more two horses come in. And another two. <laughs> what is this witchcraft? Dude, this is amazing. This guy can ride a lot of horses at once. Yeah, he can. All with a lunch whip. Okay, and watch this. And now they're all spinning around. And like doing, a pinwheel. They're doing the Broadway spin. <laughs> they're doing a pinwheel. Jesus. And then... <laughs> Hey, get back in there. Dude, that's so cool. Okay, watch this, though. This is how he resituates. I think. Okay. Oh, no, he's going to do another Ten spin again. first. Watch this shit. This is amazing. So he's going to stop. Whoa. They rotate it out. He walks across. Walks across. Two horses. And bags. then... Backs up his chunk. Oh, my God. <laughs> and turns them around. <laughs> I want to do this. He's All right. like one of those. All right, watch this. Watch this. Magnet now. He, he's going to uh, initiate the horse magnet. Two go on to one side. Yeah. The other two are just kind of, okay, we'll get back into spot. Go other to the, four. Oh, four other honest. four go to the other side. That's true. Jeez. And then, and then he makes them ride in formation. They ride in tiered three tiers. Jeez. <laughs> so this is where I think liberty training becomes impressive and useful if you wanted to ride twenty four horses in one hour this and get is them true. all worked. But, but who like that takes much, so long? How much training, dude? Does it's that a it's take? a riding school in Samur, France. Because. That's tough because you're basically relying on the herd mentality as well. Well, yeah, but they have such strong herd instincts. You just use those as tools. Well, yeah, I've, I've never, I've never fucked with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a, a big uh, part of uh, cutting horses and cow horses is tapping into the herding instinct, natural yeah. herding instinct. But yeah, it, I just thought that was the coolest thing ever. Is he's just riding a flotilla of horses. <laughs> yep. He, that man should, it's an army should be of horses. in every parade. He should be everywhere. Ever. He should be everywhere. And not a single horse has anything on him. You know, and now he's this, they're patched up in the middle and he's fucking riding forward clockwise to the outside. At the canner. Yeah, at the canner. 
super. I, I don't know how, how you'd be able to transfer the individual training across to that herd mentality. I don't. I don't get how that works. Well, it's a lot of. Um, who else does this really well? Uh, Clinton Anderson. Okay. He does. He does this exact same thing. Really, I mean, a lot of the Australian like down under horsemen do this, do this kind of thing. But this is the largest scale I've ever seen it, because this guy has access to an entire herd. And now, and now it's he's time to play. making them lay down. Yes. And see how they, but see how those two horses mimic each other's body language. So yeah. you really only have to teach one horse, and then the other horse starts to pick it up. True. That. Yeah. Wow. It's freaking awesome. And the fact that that he's riding the two horses up in front. He's running two by two all the way down for like six rows. Yeah. And I mean there's a slight disconnect with the the horses in the back where they're it's it's not as formation, but they're following. But well, they still is. follow. Now it is. Yeah, they're just kind of getting squirrely there, but you know, and I I can tell you they know he's the the stallion. They yeah. know he's the head. That's true. Cuz every time he gets on the ground, all of them are straight looking at him. And reading his body language. See, you only see these kind of crazy things with uh, with European guys. What? And he makes them all stand on the He makes them stand on the jump. They're like puppy dogs. I know. Giant puppy dogs. And that's why horses are nicer than mules. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Although mule people would hate us for saying that. See, I I would... It's awesome. They're like, oh, you're going to stay up there too? Oh, okay. I'd like to see the conversation between And you can see them all communicating with each other. No, I'd love to see the conversation with this guy. And then like one of the, uh, like a dog whisperer, (laughs) man's best friend. We'll look at these horses. Right. Back up, back up now. And you can do a lot more with those horses. (laughs) Look at that shit. Oh, uh, yeah. Just step off now. Right. And they're all like 17 hand horses. I know. They're so look at that. He's he is he is the king. Wow. Man. But so I'll post the link to that video. Yeah, throw that in the link dump. In in the description for the episode and something like that. And in American, that's printemps des escuyers. Uh, or, or users. Or yesuers. That Wouldn't that be an E-U-C? I don't know. Like Euripides? That's a cool name. Euripides is an awesome name. It is. Uh, so I'd say that's a pretty good chunk for, for this episode. Yeah, with all these horses that are on the screen, it makes me feel like it's go time to ride. Alrighty. Well, uh... Good night, Jim.